Happy Easter, everyone. This is good news, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes the gospel good news. That's what it is. In fact, according to the Apostle Paul in the Bible, the Word of God that we just sang about, uh, he tells us in chapter 15, if this truth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, were not true, then I'm a liar, I'm a phony, your faith is phony, my preaching is phony, you have no hope, there is no future, there is no forgiveness. What are we doing here? We're like any other religion meeting together. This changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Do you understand it? Do you believe it? That's the question. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked the question. That's the question we pose. And when we talk about believing, we're talking about comprehending or understanding. Uh, many years ago, I was in a youth uh, group. I was in a setting with a lot of young people. We invited a bunch of non-Christians to this setting. We showed the Jesus film. Anybody remember that? It's still being used of God around the world in uh, missional settings, depicts, uh, depicting the life of Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. At the, po at the point, the dramatic point of his crucifixion, uh, that there's a silhouette. You see three crosses there, which Christ and the two thieves, of course. And sitting right next to me with this little girl, she's probably... 12, 13 or so, and she was sitting there, and she goes, and she pointed to the three crosses, and she goes, oh, I, I get it now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. I mean, she really thought she got it, and she's very precious, but she didn't get it. And I say to you, sometimes people, some of you are here today and you've prayed prayers, you prayed some prayer, you did something, you think you got it as a result of something that you really don't understand. My simple desire this morning on this Easter resurrection morning is to help you to understand the simple gospel so that you can receive this simple gospel. We're going to look at two accounts if you brought a Bible, and first we want to look at the 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 drama, the historical account, and that's found in Matthew's gospel. It's actually found in all four of them, but we're going to look at Matthew's real quickly. I just want to read this, and let's just soak in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where it says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to Jesus and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And so it all began. So it all started. What we know today is the church of Jesus Christ all hadn't even begun yet, but everything that had to happen for the church to begin, uh, begin had happened. Christ had died. Christ was buried. Christ had risen. And that is the gospel. Now, what I want to do for the balance of our short time this morning is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which tells us this. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is about 23, 25 years after Jesus had died and rose again. The church has already begun. Churches are popping up all around the empire now. But there is a waning. The excitement has waned. Uh, The joy is not as prevalent as it once was. There's not a whole lot of power to go along. There's plenty of power in the resurrection. But people are not comprehending and grasping the importance of this moment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul says, In verse 1 of chapter 15, now I want to remind you, brothers, again, this is something that happened nearly a quarter of a century earlier. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm reminding you of the utmost importance of this gospel message and what makes the gospel good news. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. There's There's our subject matter. I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. You're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, and here's the gospel, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So here's the question before us. You're looking at it. What makes the gospel good news? Well, let me respond in three ways. First of all, the very meaning of the name gospel. Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The word gospel is the the Greek word eongalion. It means means good news. It means a a good announcement. And it really comes in Bible times, what their minds would have gone to were the runners that were sent out when one nation state was warring against another nation state, one country against another country. Runners were sent out. They didn't have email. They didn't have, you know, they couldn't tweet something out. They couldn't, you know, send out a Facebook message or social media. They sent out runners. And the runners would come back from battle, and they would have a watchman on the top of the towers looking out, looking, literally looking for those runners to come. In fact, these watchmen were so keen, they could tell the way the runner was running, whether it was good news or bad news. And the runner would come, if they, they were winning the battle, they would come with Eongalion, with good news. We're winning the battle. We're advancing against the enemy. That's the idea here. And that's the idea behind the passage in Romans chapter 10. Some of you have read where Paul says, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. Have you ever read that? The, the analogy he's using is think about the runners coming back into the city state saying, we're winning. And this message wins because the gospel wins the resurrection of jesus christ wins so the very meaning of the name answers the question what makes the gospel good news also it's the most important thing in the world 
duh. Well, verse 3, for I delivered to you of first importance, protos, right? That's in first place. That's, this is the most important thing you could be thinking about right now. Now, some of you are thinking about, you know, what you got cooking in the crock pot, what you're going to throw on the, on the barbecue. Uh, you're thinking about getting together as a family, and that's all good stuff, and that's important. Uh, some of you are thinking about your marriages right now. They're not going so well. Some of you are thinking about your children. They're not doing so well. Some of you are thinking about your jobs. It's not happening so well. you got a lot of important things on your mind. And I'm not suggesting they're not important, but this is of utmost importance. This is the most important thing in the world right here. What you are hearing, the gospel, the good news that Christ died was buried and rose again. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the third thing that makes the gospel good news. And that is this. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the means by which you are saved. You're not saved by being good. You're not saved by having some heebie-jeebie experience. You're not saved by doing something good for somebody else. You're saved If you are saved, if you'll ever be saved, it will be by the virtue of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this passage makes it very, very clear. Look at it. Verse 3, here's what it says. For I delivered you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. For our sins. The word for is the word huper. It means to in the place of. It's, we, we talk, theologians talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus. He died on your behalf, on my behalf, on that cross. You see, Jesus didn't just risk his life. He gave his life for you and for me. He died for your sins. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And this, by the way, is what the Old Testament prophets said would happen. He was buried. Now, I don't know why that would have to be in there, except that it was important that he was buried. Burial was proof that he had died. Jesus was buried. He didn't just die, they buried him. If somebody gets kidnapped in our country or somewhere else, uh, those whose loved one is kidnapped often deny a proof of what? Proof of life. They want to see a video. They want to talk to him on the phone. The death of Jesus requires proof of death. Because if Jesus didn't die, then there's no sacrifice. There's no redemption. There's no forgiveness of sins. I was once in a church several years ago, and I heard the preacher saying some strange stuff. I confronted him. He was saying even more strange stuff. I said, hey, tell me, what do you believe about the resurrection? And he looked at me in the eye, and he said, we're talking resuscitation here. I said, resuscitation? You don't think Christ died? No, of course not. Who believes in that hocus pocus? I do. The Bible declares it. He died. He was buried in in accordance with the scriptures. And then it says, and he rose again on the third day, again in accordance with the scriptures. This is what makes the good news good news. That Jesus rose from the dead. This is why people do the most insane things in the world for Jesus Christ. Like give their lives to gospel mission. Like going to the other side of the world to tell people 
that don't love Jesus and might not love them, that Christ died and rose for them. About 150 years ago, a missionary by the name of John Patton was burdened of the Lord to go to the New Hebrides Islands where there were cannibals, literal cannibals, to reach them for Jesus Christ. And before he went, he met with the elders of the church and a certain Mr. Dickinson cried out in the middle of the meeting and said, John, if you go there, you're going to get eaten by cannibals. This is how John Patton replied. Quote, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. What a way to start out. (laughs) And there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. Well, there you go. You want to know what drove John Patton? It wasn't wasn't the fact that, you know, this was, uh, there was something beautiful about going to the other side of the world to preach the gospel but that he could bring truth to someone and then even if he died he would be resurrected because jesus is resurrected and by the way this was not a veiled cry by a the certain mr dickinson about 20 years earlier the first missionaries arrived on the new hebrides true story they arrived at the new hebrides within 15 minutes they were killed and eaten that's a quick barbecue That's what he meant when he said, you're going to be killed by cannibals. And by the way, when John Patton arrived on the island, within three months, his wife gave birth to their first child. The child died. His wife died. John Patton laid on his own wife's grave for three days just so that the cannibals wouldn't dig her up and eat her. So there was nothing nostalgic, romantic about what he did. But I'll tell you what drove him. What drove him was the gospel, the good news that Christ died, was buried, rose again, and he would rise again too. And you will too, by the way, if you believe the gospel. That's what it is. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. You want to know what it does? Well, look at the first couple of verses. Here's what it does. Paul says, it's the gospel. I preached it to you. I work in reverse. He says, by, it's, it's how you're saved. It's by that which you are being saved. Here's the first thing it'll do for you. It'll save you. The gospel is what saves you. And some of you need to be saved. You believe something, but it isn't the gospel. And it says you'll, it's by which you are being saved, which is an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Theologians like to say, and rightly so, that salvation is is in three different tenses. I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are saved. The penalty is taken away. Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, removes the penalty that's hanging over you right now and threatens to send you to hell. When Christ comes into your life, Not only is sin's penalty taken away, but sin's power has been dealt with. That's what it means when it says you are being saved. That's present tense. There is a power that comes into your life. Now let me tell you something. 
Some of you have prayed prayers and things like this, but you still have a filthy life. You still have filthy minds. You still do filthy things. Your life has not been changed. There is no resident power, resurrection power in your life. That probably means you're not saved. Because when Jesus comes into your life, you are saved from sin's penalty and you are delivered from sin's power. That's pretty cool. And when you die... You're taken away from sin's presence. Hallelujah. Amen. You never have to deal with it again. And so Paul says, you want to know what it is? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want to know what it does? It saves you. That's what it does. And it keeps you. The next line says, by which you stand. That's a, the tense there is you stand once and for all. God stands you up, and no matter what this world throws at you, you cannot lose it. How wonderful is that? This is a wonderful message. And finally, what the gospel is, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What it does, it will save you from your sins. Eternally, take you from the power in the present, deliver you from its presence in the future. Here's how you get it. It's mentioned twice here. You receive it. Listen again how Paul puts it. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Later on he says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. You have to receive the gospel in order to have it. It's a gift, but a gift by definition must be received, right? It must be received. If you don't receive this gift personally, then it's not yours. It's still a gift, but you don't possess it. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him. The word receive means to, to take in. That's what it means, to take in. As many as received him. To them, God gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. So, Paul says, I'm, I'm telling you, you have to receive it just as I had to receive it. And I'm telling you that you have to receive it just as I had to receive it. When I was 24 years old, living in Waterloo, Iowa, working at John Deere Tractor Works Manufacturer, working in the foundry, working with a guy, who had a tattoo on his shoulder. I figured he'd like to smoke marijuana, so I asked him if he wanted to smoke some marijuana with me at break time. He looked at me, he said, Pat, he said, I, I used to do that stuff a couple years ago, but I got saved. I thought, oh, man, I got to work with a Jesus freak. But we were pretty much tied together for about two weeks. And his life showed that the penalty for sin had been removed. The power of God was in his life. He, he effervesced with joy. And he told me about Jesus. He told me that Jesus died for me. That Jesus was buried for me. That Jesus was resurrected for me. And here's the point. I already believed all that in my head. I believed all that. I, I believed all I thought it was applied to me through baptism and confirmation, a few other things, but the Bible didn't teach that. 
The Bible says it was a faith thing, that I had to take it in. I had to receive it. And he shared with me that I needed to take what was in my head and apply it to my heart. Because the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And some of you here today need to be saved, just like some were saved in the first service. In fact, if you would like to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then take what you just heard in your head and apply what you just heard to your heart and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. You'll be resurrected, spiritually speaking, and there'll come a day when that body of yours that's wearing out by the day, amen? will be resurrected in the likeness of Jesus himself. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, I ask you to speak to every heart in this room. There are a number of people in this room, Lord, who have heard the gospel but have never really received it. The penalty has not been extracted. The power is not resident in their lives. Because they haven't believed in the only begotten Son of God. That he lived, died, rose again for them. But right now, if that's your heart's desire right now, my friend, as we pray, as you're, everyone's praying right now, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to raise your hand or anything. I'm just asking you to deal with God in your heart right now. Just really deal with this thing seriously in your heart. Let's just, let's just pretend it's you and God talking right now. Not me, you and God, just you and God, okay? And let's just, no pretending really, let's just say right now in your heart you'd say, I, I, I believe this, I, I want this. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I want my sins to be forgiven. Can you tell God that? Would you just, Lord, I want my sins to be forgiven. I'm lost. I believe Jesus died for me on my behalf. I believe that, Lord. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again from the dead for me. I ask him I ask you, dear God, to come into my heart and into my life and save me from my sins. I make you Lord of my life. I will live for you until the day you change me completely through the resurrection that Jesus first experienced. Would that be your heart's prayer right now? Would it be your heart's prayer to say, Lord, I, I want this. I receive Jesus right now. Just tell him that. He's listening. The altar we invite you to come to is the cross. And next to that altar is an empty tomb. 
verifying everything he ever said to be true. Now, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.